the Crow Flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Brad Frecking, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Vance. So um, you are in the meat packing industry, particularly with pork, and probably at the time when more people in the in the world are focused on pork production than have ever been focused on it before. Where are you and what is going on right now? Here it is May 1st of 2020 during the coronavirus pandemic. Vance, our world has been totally turned upside down. In all years, 25 years of raising integrated pork production, I've never, never, ever dealt with a situation like this, ever. I mean, through $6 corn, through $0.08 pigs and 98 we have never experienced what we're experiencing today. When did things start changing from being a guy that runs a business that most people don't want to talk about, don't want to think about, to being, hey, things are starting to heat up? When did you start feeling the pressure from coronavirus? Probably, let's call it the middle of March. Um, from the standpoint, we knew it was out there. We're having lockdown effects. Um we're we're deemed essential from day one because we're producing food so from a day-to-day standpoint nothing really changed for us um everybody showed up for work because we're deemed essential because we're in the pig business and biosecurity and herd health is paramount to what we do to be successful with what we do we've already had good biosecurity in place and our employees understand the importance of biosecurity. And what I mean by that is how to avoid viruses, how to keep them out of the farm. So so it's part of our culture, Vance. So you are a veterinarian and a part owner right. in a packing plant. And do you also raise hogs yourself? Yeah, we produce about 1.3 million annually. So people would call us an integrated pork producer because we, we have all sides of it raising the pigs to the processing facility. So what is happening? Everybody is saying right now, when you flip on the news, that um, people are being forced to work in these packing plants. They're getting sick. They're dying. And this is happening in places like South Dakota, where uh, the governor was really lax on on, uh, how much they were going to do social distancing and whether or not they would lock it down. That's what I have seen in the news. What are you seeing from running your operations? So the first major plant closure was only three weeks ago. So, I mean, we're, we're living this real time. And so Vance, what I'll do, I'll give you our experience um, at our own plant and I'll start with that. And then we'll move beyond that to other situations. So our facility is within the state of Missouri, uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. And we did not have a positive employee until last week, Monday, as our first positive employee. And prior to that, we were doing tons of education on, hey, if you don't feel well, don't show up to work. You know, go to the doctor, uh, get them the PPE, the mask, the protective gear. A lot of our people are already smocked up with gloves and coats already, but getting the mask, you know, implementing those, um, we implemented, um, when you go through some of the airports, they got those thermal screeners now where it takes your temperature. So we implemented that. 
uh, spread out the cafeterias. I mean, we were doing everything physically possible that we could, but on last week, Monday, not this Monday, the week before Monday, we were notified of our first positive COVID-19 employee. During the preceding few days, you know, two more, three more, that type of deal. The good thing about Advance, they're going to the doctor and getting tested. They weren't coming to the plant. But due to the escalation and with um, being arm in arm with the state of Missouri and all their support and Department of Health, we made the decision last Thursday to test all of our employees. So we're the first large harvest plant in the U.S. that made the commitment to test proactively all of our employees. So when you're saying testing, are you talking about the the swab that goes all the way to the back of your nose and you got to like <laughs> hit your head? Yeah, back? yeah, the wow. nasal pharyngeal swab. And how did you guys possibly institute that? Did did the state show up with tests? How did you do that? Yeah, so so. To make the decision on last week, Thursday, to test all our employees, the state helped move heaven and earth to mobilize by Monday, by Monday. So they helped round up all the test kits, the health providers, a little bit of help from National Guard, and we mobilized on site with the testing facility, and we were able, from Monday through Wednesday, test 2,400 people. And what did you find out when you tested 2,400 people? So I was at the plant yesterday, um, helping with press releases because everybody wants to know. And um, and we, we, we also notified our employees the first time we had a positive case, which was last week, Monday. So that, that created fear um, and created some app absenteeism which is understandable but the data from the first round of testing which was about 735 tests that we got back yesterday 92 tested positive now what's really interesting about this vance 100 percent of them were asymptomatic so did they were they surprised? I mean, did they what what is the look on somebody's face when they find out they're positive, but they don't feel anything? Well, it, it, it's it's really too. Th- I mean, we're living this right now. I mean, this was yesterday at three o'clock. Okay, yesterday at three o'clock, and so there's probably it's taken a tremendous amount of employee education, but there's probably two responses, you know, because. Once we found out they're positive, we sent them home with masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, because they'll need to go into seven seven day quarantine from the time they test them and say, hey, you need to quarantine and be careful, but here's some masks to protect your loved ones, your families, you know, in case you're still shedding the virus. So the other side of it is, shit, I got it. I don't feel anything. I'm good to go. I don't have to worry about this anymore because <laughs> it's asymptomatic. Yeah, really big symptoms. relief. Yeah, huge relief. A big relief. So you kind of got both sides of it. You got the employee that, you know, maybe is living with 80-year-old grandparents or parents or grandparents that are like, man, I got to be really careful. And you may have somebody else that's going, I've had this. No big deal. 
So you tell know, me about your good. tell me about your workforce. Who who who's been coming into your work for for years? How long have you developed this workforce? How easy is it to replace if they don't show up for work? Well, what happens, and this this is part of our food supply situation that we're dealing with today. So if we have absenteeism, we cannot run at our normal rates. We can't harvest the same number of pigs per day. So with less people, we slow everything down and we're really producing less food. So normally we're harvesting around 21,000 a day and we're, curr- and we're currently at 13,000. What does this do to the amount of pork available, right? I've, I've heard people talk about that we have a certain number of days that are, you know, meat's already frozen and we're taken care of. But when does bringing that okay, much production so, down? So I want to talk about that misnomer. So most of the meat that's frozen is already sold. Oh. And most of the meat frozen is for export. The only thing we freeze is some ribs and tenderloins that we save for the spring grilling. Otherwise, all that meat that you see in the frozen stocks, all that's already sold. So what does this mean for meat storage then? Like how long can you go where you're producing less than your capacity and it starts showing up in in, in grocery stores? Today. Nobody's saying this. I have not heard this anywhere. (laughs) I know. I know because... So when you think about the retail, the grocery stores, it's all fresh. There's very little frozen pork ever in that grocery store. That supply chain is about 72 to 96 hours for freshness. What? Yes. Yeah. So... Okay, so what are you seeing show up in the grocery stores? Are you hearing right now, like, are you selling pork for the same price you were? How, how is all this working with pricing? So you ready to go? A um, little bit of history here, Vance. So, so the pork cutout, which is the value of all the pieces of the carcass, we it's called the pork cutout value, just like box beef value, okay? So we were clicking along at about $80, for that value and eighty dollars is okay it's not great money you're not making a lot of money but you're okay when covid hit and retail shut down that value went to fifty dollars just crashed because of food service shutdown and, and our industry is heavily dependent on food service because of further processing, bacon, hams, and sausages, which are highly consumed within food service. Unlike beef, you know, a steak is steak. It doesn't matter if it goes in retail or to the restaurant, hamburger is hamburger and a roast is a roast. They don't further process beef. So we that's why we crashed from 80 to 50. So, and that was about two weeks ago, we were at 50 cents, okay? Today, yesterday, the pork cutout hit up over a hundred. <laughs> yes. So does that mean that if you can produce pigs, that you're doing pretty well now? Then, if you're producing if, pork, if we can we can produce. The problem is, we got all these pigs in supply chain. I can't put them out on pasture. We're not the cattle industry. We're not the dairy industry where you can draft cow. If you don't want to dump milk, dry her off. 
you know, they can immediately adjust their supply chain. Our problem is we have 11 months of work in progress. And Explain what that means for people that don't aren't familiar with livestock or agriculture. What is that? What does it take to get a pig all the way up to, to processing? So by the time you breed that pig, that sour gilt, it'll take about four months for a herd of feral. And then, then the babies will be on the mama for about three and a half weeks. And then it's about another six months for them to reach mark weight. So that's why we talk about 10 and a half to 11 months of work in progress. And so now at $100 uh, per or above, what's going on in your plant right now? You have people that are testing positive. It's a time to make money. There's not much storage uh, going on in the grocery stores. So what is this all equal for you and your workers? So, so by voluntarily testing our workforce, what we're trying to do is create a sense of comfort for them to feel comfortable coming to work. And so the positives, we identify them and remove them, not remove them, tell, quarantine them at home for seven days, and then they can come back. So it's all about making our employees feel safe. And and that's really the goal because there's so much misinformation about this virus and its true impact on people. What is the misinformation that you're having to combat on on with your workers or kind of in general? Well, if you listen to any news station, the majority of them, you're going to die if you get it. And that's the problem. And, and the data is flawed, Vance, I mean, on the mortality rates, because they're putting it all against people that test positive. Okay. So I just shared with you out of this massive screening of 2,400 people, I don't have all the data yet, but the first third of the data says that 90% of people are asymptomatic, okay? So if you start doing this math and you extrapolate it out, this the mortality rate to this virus is probably like 0 0.1, 0 0.2. That's it. It's seasonal flu. That's all it is. You're not now, allowed to say that. People get mad at you saying that. <laughs> I'm giving you data. I mean, the data is just rolling at us this week because we're finally testing large populations uh, of employees. And I'll give you a couple other case some points that are out there in the public domain. Remember the aircraft carrier that where they all got sick and created a lot of hoopla? Well, out of those 5,000 people, sailors on that ship, 994 tested positive. One died Vance because he had significant asthma. That equates to a mortality rate of 0.1, which is less than the seasonal flu, okay? There's two other prison systems where they've tested the entire population. In both those situations, once again, of the people testing positive, 90 plus percent are asymptomatic. Didn't even know they had it which equates to our data. So all this data is starting to coalesce to create a, a better picture of what's actually going on in the general population with this virus. How has it to be, to be working so closely with the state? Because, and the reason I oh, ask okay. is because the, the, there are some states that seem like they're locking everything down and some states that are trying to keep businesses up and running. And I don't have a perception for how Missouri is doing. Uh, Missouri, 
They went through their normal lockdown, but I think they're opening up now or next week. And and I don't know to what level. You know, I do live in the state of Minnesota, so I'm very familiar with what's going on here, Vance. But but what I will tell you, you know, our situation versus the, the Sioux Falls plant we talked about earlier, you mentioned, we went arm in arm with the state. And we said, we need your help because we want to voluntarily test our employees. And we're going to need your help for us to do that. So we've been working hand in hand with their support and they've been giving us the guidance for our facility because it's your local health authority along with your state that ultimately provides the guidance for these facilities. And in essence, they have authority to shut you down. And, and because of the fear and the lack of understanding around this virus, I mean, the immediate response is, well, I'm going to shut you down. You got positives, I'm shutting you down. Well, here's the problem with shutdown vans without testing. Okay, you shut everything down. You bring everybody back to work two weeks later. What's changed? <laughs> without testing, nothing's, you're going to end up in the same situation. Are you so, worried about liability with uh, if your workers come in and they contract the disease and people say, well, they got it at work and therefore you're responsible for, for their medical care? So that's the other huge misnomer about these plants. They're not getting it in the plants. They're getting it in the communities that they live in. I mean, because they're coming in, we're tamping them. They got face masks, PPE. I mean, then they go home. They go shopping, they go hang out. That's where it's spreading vans. It's not in the plants. It's in the community where they live. And that, you know, you have an interesting uh, background, particularly with a term that is being thrown around all over the place, right? People talk about herd immunity and what will it take to get herd immunity. And my understanding, not just of livestock, but particularly with pigs or being a veterinarian, you have to understand herd immunity for other diseases you faced a lot of diseases that have impacted pigs what should people know about this term herd immunity what does it really mean when you look at it from a veterinarian standpoint so herd immunity as it pertains specifically to this virus it's basically enough people going positive that it snuffs the virus out it no no longer has a source to replicate and normally that's around 60 to 70% of the population being positive and the virus will burn out on its own. That, that's herd immunity as they're talking about it um, on the national press for humans. And same is similar in our, our south farms that we monitor and measure. And so you've had to deal with with an epidemic inside of pigs before, I assume, if you've been Oh, in this absolutely. Game. We deal with it all the time, Vance. So what do you know as somebody that's been dealing with epidemics within animals for a long time, what, what we can take away from what humans should be thinking about this as? Well, the first thing, you have to have testing, the access to testing. And there's two different types of tests that they talk about today that, that confuse a lot of people. So the testing we're using right now is what they call the PCR test, 
Um, Polymerase chain that? reaction. Yeah, the- I, was, I had to think a little bit there. PCR. So, so what that does, it, it identifies little fragments of RNA that this virus leaves behind, and so it, including dead virus. So you could have had the virus um, developed antibodies, stop producing the vi- virus in your body. I cleared the virus, but you may still test positive because you have dead virus being shed from your cells. So, so there's really three phases of that PCR positive test. I could be preclinical. I, I got the virus, but I haven't developed symptoms yet. And those symptoms should, if you test positive and you're pre-symptomatic, within two days, either you got systems or symptoms or you're immune to it. It's not bothering you. The second bucket is I test positive with no symptoms and I have no symptoms going forward. You're asymptomatic. The third one is I've already cleared it, but I'm just shedding dead virus. And we don't know that with that test, but those are the three buckets that you'll be in, but you'll know within 48 hours whether you're asymptomatic. So it's got to be like lifting the veil uh, on like how many people have it, what's going on here. How have your overall employees reacted? Do they want to be at work? Do they Are they resenting that you're asking them to come in and do it? Like I hear all kinds of different reports. Um, different people respond differently. And different people have different situations at home. Are they living with their grandma? You know, do they have an 85-year-old grandpa at home, you know, people are petrified for the kids. What I'm telling you, Vance, look at the data. These kids are either immune or they've already seen the virus due to being in school because there are no kids testing positive hardly anywhere on the planet. And for sure, none of them are getting deathly sick and dying. So something's going on with their kids, you know, either either the virus doesn't affect them or they're already immune to it because the common cold it part of that complex is four coronaviruses that continue to circulate so maybe those coronaviruses are, are providing the kids with immunity so i mean that that's the thing with this i wish we had test a big population of kids so they can get on with their lives and that helped mom and dad get on with their lives because they're scared about their kids. What are you being asked to do at the plant right now uh, as far as for health concerns? And what do you think are the good precautions? And what do you think are maybe over the top, if anything? So so the one we're working with today, because this is about your future food availability within the U.S. And we talked about social distancing. So why did we implement social distancing bans? We had no face masks. We had no PPE. It all needed to go to essential workers, i.e. frontline, the doctors and nurses and EMTs. Well, now that we got face masks being required, why do we need social distancing? You don't need them both you know, pick one or the other. So if you're walking around with the mask, 
I don't need to stay six feet away from everybody if I got a mask on. Because the mask is preventing the shed of the virus. Nobody's saying so, this. I have not heard anybody say this. And you're it's right. It's illogical. Like, yeah. Because we didn't have the PPE to begin with, so they implemented social distancing. Now that we got the PPE, you don't need to do both. Because well, one of the battles that we're having with certain um, oversight individuals is, well, we want you to social distance in the plant. You know, we can't have breaks and on breaks, but these plants are in a building, okay? And the lines are set up at X amount of spacing, normally three foot for each employee. Well, if we got to implement social spacing, which isn't required with plants with masks and gloves and face shields, it makes no sense. What I'm telling you, if, if it gets implemented, you're production goes down to 60% of what it was. That means a lot of people will not have me. I think that one of the things that strikes me about what's going on right now is people have no concept for what a meat packing plant looks like. The closest they've come is Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. And that, and that, which was never like, so for people that don't know, Upton Sinclair was a socialist. He wanted to write a novel about how difficult the working conditions were. So he wrote this book about meatpacking and instead of capturing people's ideological minds for politics he hit them in the stomach and got them to say terrible things are going on here so the only image that most americans have of meatpacking plants is that there are these terrible places whereas i've been to i've never been to a pork one but i've been to a cattle one and they are surgery level clean they are yeah. well they have to be yeah so every night what everybody under needs to understand the USDA allows us to operate beyond the health issues that we're dealing with with COVID today. But the USDA, we have to wash and perfectly clean that facility every day, every evening. So we run an A shift, B shift production, C shift is clean up every day. And then we gotta go and swab, take bacterial counts, to prove to the USDA that we can start the plant up the next day. It is crystal, it's, I won't say it's cleaner than a hospital, but it's on par. Yeah, I was one time in a plant where the where the owner or one of the owners of the plant said, I would eat a four course meal off of the floor in here after we're oh, yeah. done cleaning it up. And it was like, that's amazing. So what are you thinking right now is going to happen to the food chain? Is is this going to get solved? Hey, the, the state's working and the order to, to allow workers to come back. What do you think is going to happen? Well, we will be short on meat. I mean, that that's already in the cards. Um, the, the cattle side and the pork side are, are harvesting at about 60% capacity today, Vance. So, I mean, that means we have a shortage coming with fresh meat. There is no way around it. I mean, that card's already been dealt. The the thing that I think most people don't realize in the United States, because we've been inundated constantly with like how great a plant-based diet is and vegan, <laughs> is that people don't realize that the calories, you know, we have a certain number of calories that humans in the United States need. And if you cut out meat, the, which is the super high density calorie access. If you cut part of that out, 
you still need those calories for human beings. You can't just flip it over and start eating carrots because the volume to calorie ratio is nowhere near where it would need to be. And so my question becomes, at what point does the meat shortage go from being like, hey, the uh, having bacon and kind of these meats that we like just aren't around to we have an actual calorie shortage? It, it depends on how quickly we can educate people that these facilities are actually a safe environment to work in. And, and that's going to be our challenge over the next seven days, Vance, because I'll give you some other. So now other plants are testing. We're not the only ones now, thank goodness. And I'm starting to see those results. And, and it's looking very similar where 90% of the individuals that test positive are asymptomatic. So they got it, got it at home, whatever, no problem whatsoever. You're good to go, you're immune, come back to work. The other thing that's interesting, because we're, as a rule of thumb, I mean, it's hard work in these plants. I mean, it, it's not a lounge chair job. I mean, they're, they're working hard. So as a rule of thumb, we have a pretty healthy population. When you think about it overall, I mean, because you got to be fit or it's strenuous work. What is the work that they're doing inside of a packing plant? Describe um, it. Yeah, it, it's all the way from somebody with a knife making cuts of meat to packaging to shipping to running uh, forklifts to loading trucks. I mean, so it's a little bit to running uh, robots. So can I zoom the all- camera lens back? So like. For people that don't know, pigs have to show up to your facility and they show up live, they walk off of the truck and they go in and they're killed, presumably as one of the first steps, right? Yep. And so we use a CO2 stunning, which everybody agrees is the most humane way to put the animal down. And then their first step is we bleed them. You know, obviously they're unconscious, but you got to get the blood out of the carcass for meat quality. And then you go through the process of dehairing them and then removing the internal, you know, the heart, lung, and the guts. And then they go through a snap chill. And all that up to that point only takes about five minutes because the quicker you take the animal harvest it and get it into the equilibration coolers, the better meat quality. So then it sits in there overnight for about 24 hours and then it comes down on what we call the cut floor, the fabrication floor. And that's where you create all the different parts and pieces. And that's what's going on with the conveyor belts is that parts of the pig are moving by and one person is responsible for, I get this cut off the meat. And then as it goes further down, somebody gets another cut off. And so what you're saying, what you're describing, as far as I can tell is that if uh, you start separating these people out so far that the conveyor belts and the timing that they need to pick that piece up, get their cut, take it off, starts to get messed up. And and you guys have finally tuned this so that messing it up messes a whole bunch of other things up oh yeah i mean so th- think about it as simply as this if i gotta spread people out on those lines w- which are within a brick and mortar building so i have no more room so that means i gotta remove half my workforce so instead of running at 1400 carcasses per hour i'm down to 700 
I'm at 50% capacity. And that's what you're going to tell me that this country is going to produce food, meat at 50% the historical capacity. Well, and that's and, problem, Vance. Yeah, and and the especially when we got masks and all the protective gear for our employees now. We we don't need that social distancing. You know, we started that politically because we didn't have the equipment. Now that we got the PPE, we don't need the social distancing. That just makes common sense. I think people right now are struggling. Many of them are sitting at home and they want to do good and they want to support good. And the only side that they're hearing is that these evil meat packers are going to force people at gunpoint or uh, through some sort of military order that they have to go back to work. And so they are sitting at their computer saying, hey, I want to support these workers that are being forced to work. How do you think they should perceive this? Or what would be another angle for them to understand what's going on besides just the fact that meat is going to go up? So um, point number one, they're not forced to work. Nobody's out there with guns rounding them up, bringing them in chains to the plant. It is voluntary if they show up for work. But they are deemed essential, and so therefore they don't have the windfall payments coming from the government on unemployment, which eventually is going to hurt our economy because people won't want to go back to work because that's making more not working vans. So, I mean, that's an issue down the road here once things get normalized, but but these people, I mean, they got a choice if they want to come to work or not. I mean, we can't force them. So our job is to provide them with the safe, safest environment we possibly can. And that's why we agreed to voluntarily test everybody. Now that the results are coming in, it's going to be a continuous education process, Vance, because I'm going to go through our numbers in our 2,400 employee plant which are just coming out. The first press release was yesterday at three o'clock. So what we've seen is only one and a half percent of all of our employees have seen clinical signs and went to the doctor and got tested positive. So one and a half percent of all our employees actually had symptomatic signs, okay? Of that one and a half percent, only three of those people ended up in the hospital, okay? With mild symptoms to COVID. Two of them are released and the third one I think is being released today. Nobody's dying. And would that I'm have saying. happened during the flu season? Would you have had a couple it would of have been worse. worse? Really? It probably would have been worse. So, or as worse. So if you were asking the public right now that's hearing you talk about this and they say, okay, I take what Brad is saying seriously and I'm I want to help. What do you think they should be doing to help? Should they be running out and stacking up pork and bacon and or calling well, that, a senator or what should they do? Well, number one is probably calling their legislators and say, hey, you need to help support these guys with their testing and help educate the public with truth, not the stuff that's coming out of the East Coast. I mean, these, these are the first big population centers to be tested or workforces to be tested in, the, except for the U.S. carrier. Now you got the destroyer in prisons. This is GQ working public being mass tested. Okay. 
And I think this will become potentially a protocol for other large employers to use on a go-forward basis. Somehow, somewhere, Vance, testing will be part, I think, of your ongoing processes for your employees to reopen the economy if you have a large confined workforce. Brad, you're a seasoned guy. You've been around for a while. You're a little bit older on the age gradient. Are you worried about getting the disease? No. Why not? I think I already have it. Really? Had it. My boys, I think two of my sons had it. That's why I'm waiting for the ELISA or the serology test, which is the antibody test everybody keeps talking about. That'll tell you if you've had it. Uh, my son, Thomas, um, got sick in December. Took him to the hospital. They said, well, you got a virus. So it's not influenza. And he's a wrestler. So look at them kids grappling. I mean, Oh, yeah, I do jujitsu. Like, it's like you are sharing yeah. sweat and spit and yep. everything else with these guys. Yep. And then my oldest son, Benjamin, who goes to Iowa State in engineering, basically, when everybody came back from Christmas break, he's in engineering, so there's a lot of Asian students. When he came back for, from after Christmas break, the entire college got sick. I mean, everybody got sick. So, but you think about the timeline on this, Vance. I think California has already gone through it. Because if you look at CDC data, they said California had an early flu season. Well, they didn't have early flu. They're, they're going through corona. Because think about your first point of stop. If you're coming from China, you're coming into California, yeah, San Francisco, or Los Angeles. I mean, you're saying the kind of thing that gets you booted off YouTube. I can tell you that. That's uh, YouTube <laughs> doesn't like that. So, so, um, I, what do you think um, is going to the world is going to look like in two weeks? Hopefully, as these other states open up, and all of our data is now, and a lot of other data is saying ninety percent are asymptomatic. So as these states open up and people get back to normal, you will have this 10% that shows symptoms, okay? And of those 10%, 1% or, you know, 10% of those or 1% of the overall may end up going, going to the hospital. Now, what I do know, you don't put sick patients like Como did in nursing homes. They are the susceptible population that we got to care for and protect. I mean, the state of Minnesota advanced 99.28% of the mortalities or the deaths in the state of Minnesota come from nursing homes. So we're doing it. So protect our nursing homes. Don't kill us in the economy. So let's talk about what happens to the animals that you can't harvest. So if you go down to 60% or 50%, those pigs are still growing up. They're still coming, maturing. You can't just go put them out in a pasture or keep feeding them because you've got other cow, or other pigs that are that are growing up. What they happens to those ex, extra pigs or the pigs that can't be processed? So in our region right here, southwest Minnesota, so you mentioned the morale plant earlier. That's been closed going on three weeks now. Unfortunately, the JBS plant closed not this Monday, the Monday before. So our region lost almost all of its harvest capabilities. So there are pigs being depopulated today, Vance. 
euthanize that that need to be food but they're not what does that look like if people are i I don't mean to be graphic but i want people to understand what it means for for a farmer that had pigs that can't get them harvested Uh, it's economic devastation i mean and beyond the emotional toll i mean you care for these animals for six months you know trying to keep everybody health as healthy as you can and now you get them to the point to finally achieve, you know, the reward of my last six months, and I don't have a home for them, and I got euthanize them. I mean, yeah, I, I was talking with a guy who was saying that he was going to have to help drive um, trucks to where they they would do the killing of the pigs and burying them. And he was describing it as um, being a part of a war or something like you don't normally kill these animals so that they're just dead. You you kill them to no. process them. And it's a it's a spiritual. Hey, I understand they're a part of the circle of life. But if you're putting them down and just burying them, it's traumatic for the farmer and for anybody that's watching it. For anybody that's involved in the process. So, I mean. And I'll give you the situation. Let's talk about John Morrell and JBS plants for just a second, Vance. So what's crazy to me and what the the politicians and the officials aren't thinking about, well, if I've been shut down two to three weeks already and 50% of my population has tested positive, but they're all asymptomatic or 90% of them on, why can't the healthy ones go back to work? They ain't going to get it again. You know, and the easy way to do this is, you know, put those people on B shift because then I wash my plant every single night. And my people that aren't, that are still negative, put them on A shift. You can, you can do this, but people just, they're not, they're not human doctors only think about individual medicine. They don't, understand the epidemiology of the community and how to segregate people like we do all the time with our farms and animals. I mean, we know how to do this and, you know, whether it's a strategic depopulation of positive animals in the South farm, because we're getting rid of this disease or we're trying to create herd immunity within that farm. I mean, we understand this, but but, but I'd make the argument today that these plants can be running at some capacity because all these big portion of these workers are already positive. They're immune. They went through it. It, it, is going nobody to, died. it is going to be absolutely fascinating to see when the dam breaks and what, what it requires because we have to go to work at some point. And if you have people saying, no, 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 just keep it shut for a little while longer, they don't understand that not just every week that we stay shut down problems are happening, not even just every day, it's every hour, every minute that we stay closed, we are losing the uh, many of the things that make this country run. And eventually the gears start seizing up and you can't get them to run, turn back on. Well, I'd make the argument, Vance, and Oregon came out with the data earlier in this week, more people are dying because of the closures, because they're not doing their surgeries, they're not doing their cancer treatments, they're not being screened for this, there's no health care, they're staying away. So Oregon actually came out, or I don't know, I can't remember exactly who it was or which study, and they're actually looking at their mortality now 
on a weekly basis say, shoot, I got more people dying from other normal health issues because I got my entire healthcare shut down than I do from COVID. I mean, the, the, the cure is killing us, literally. Well, Brad, I am grateful that uh, you guys uh, were willing to come on and talk so openly and candidly about what's going on. I, uh, I definitely am your biggest fan. You know, I, I, was just, <laughs> I was just acquainted with pork jowl, and uh, I came to realize that this is it, the greatest form of bacon that no one had ever told me about. No, it's really good. I mean, it, it's, yeah, pork jowl. If you can find it and somebody will do it properly for you, it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, I have a cast iron skillet and I do it slow. It takes me about 20 yeah. minutes to get it all the way through. It's wonderful. But <laughs> I, um, I got to say, man, like it's work like you, the workers that you have, the people that are around you that are actually keeping the country going when other people are privileged enough like me to be able to avoid and shelter and stay at home with my wife. So I am deeply grateful and I'm happy to do anything we can to make sure that your perspective is getting out. So people understand what it's like on the inside of a, of a pork packing plant. I appreciate that Vance. And the biggest take home message, once they do larger population testing, all of a sudden the real mortality rate is going to come out on the general population. And it's going to be a 0.1 0.2% mortality, which is the normal flu. So are we going to shut down for the flu every year, Vance? God, I hope not. Well, we haven't ever. I mean, when H1N1 came through with President Obama, I mean, that, that was about a 0.15, Nothing was done. We didn't do what we're doing today. I mean, he let it roll through. So if people wanted to uh, reach out to you, hear how you're working on your, your production facility, sure. learn from you, how could they do that? Um, they could email me or we got a lot of security on our email system. So I don't mind giving out my cell phone. Well, why don't you uh, give out your email? It's the easiest way for people okay. to, to send to you. What is that? It's B-W-Fracking, F-R-E-K-I-N-G, at N F p inc.com i will put that in the show notes so anybody can grab it brad thank you so much i know you got a busy busy day of work ahead of you thanks for hopping on here and uh right. come back in a couple weeks and let me know how Absolutely, things have turned thanks. out be loved love to give you an update great thanks so much brad all right take care <laughs> 